It's a minute past the hour of 6 o'clock. Good evening. Welcome. My name is Mark Riley. This is The Mark Riley Show. Uh, under normal circumstances, we deal with a host of issues on this program between now and 7 p.m. Tonight, we're going to deviate just a little bit. I know I gave my man Jason Taubenfeld a full template and run sheet. But with the decision in the Eric Garner case, uh, we're going to spend this hour talking about that from several angles. We're also going to talk to a couple of guests, one of whom is going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams protest uh, that took place uh, last Sunday and some of the fallout from that. And we're also going to talk to our good friend Les Payne, Pulitzer Prize winning editor, formerly of Newsday, and a man who has seen, as I have, any number of grand juries impaneled and any number of grand juries coming back with what they call in legalese, no true bill, which is what happened in the case of Eric Garner. Now, I did want to try and read to you uh, the actual statement from D.A. Daniel Donovan, who, by the way, is going to take some flack for this decision. Uh, Let me say also, by way of information, that uh, there are protesters, there were protesters earlier this afternoon who actually laid down uh, by the information booth in Grand Central Terminal. Uh, They said there was about a dozen of them. I don't know whether they were joined by others, uh, but that was one symbolic protest. There's also word that there's a protest that is starting as we speak around Union Square, and they're planning to march up to Rockefeller Center because, ironically enough, tonight is the tree lighting, at least the scheduled tree lighting in Rockefeller Center. Now, there has been some word that they were talking of authorities were talking about postponing that because of the confluence of events here. Um, I don't know if that has happened or not. I do know as someone who has been in this city for a very long time, as someone who's practiced journalism in this city for a very long time, that a, the grand jury's decision not to indict anybody comes as no surprise. Although unlike in Ferguson, where I told you a week before it happened that they were not going to indict Darren Wilson, I actually did think that they might indict uh, Daniel Pantaleo. Um, Not not on murder charges, even though the medical examiner ruled Eric Garner's death a homicide, but some type of involuntary manslaughter or something along those lines. The reason why I wanted to read you Dan Donovan's statement is because he attempts to explain uh, to the extent that he feels comfortable, and I I emphasize to the extent that he feels comfortable, precisely what happened here. And he started out, by the way, uh, offering condolences, as did uh, Pantaleo, uh, to the family of Eric Garner. But here's what we have, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I guess if you strip away everything. A man was killed over selling loose cigarettes. A man was killed, lost his life over selling loose cigarettes, over Lucy's, as some of you in the community may know. It is a galling decision, and particularly galling, I think, for the African-American community, which has experienced 
case after case after case. And in some of these cases, people were quite heartened by the fact that indictments, in fact, were handed down. But in very few of those cases was anyone convicted on a state or local level. A couple of cases the feds stepped in and the Reverend Al Sharpton and the Garner uh, family, I think, may be on TV as we speak. Saying they're going to be talking to Attorney General Eric Holder about bringing federal charges. Now, federal civil rights violation charges uh, are a high bar. You got you got to come hard with that in order to get an indictment. Now, once you get the indictment, it may be a very different story. But I think it's worth asking here. What price black life? And I think I I would say that even if I wasn't black. What price black life? Now, we have a a couple of things. One, I want to open up the phones at 888-874-4888. I want to try something a little different as well in that I have a, a number to which you can text your feelings about the decision not to indict in the Eric Garner case. That number is 917-830-3023. You can text that number. And, in fact, I can get it in my email. Don't ask me how. My wife hooks all this stuff up. I also wanted to uh, express my condolences on the passing of Herman Badillo, former congressman, several-time mayoral candidate, somebody who, with whom I disagreed on more than one occasion. And, uh, but I never questioned the honesty of his beliefs, even when he ran as a Republican <laughs> once or twice. Um, so rest in peace, Herman Badillo. He did live, I believe, a fruitful and impactful life. And, you know, that, that brings up the question. How old might Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, Eric Garner have been had he not been killed? In other words, how much longer might he have lived? And I know that there are people in law enforcement who, while bemoaning the tragedy, will say that Daniel Pantaleo did nothing wrong in subduing Eric Garner with a chokehold. I am not one of those. I believe there was wrong done. I think there was grievous wrong done. I don't know. I I might not have been of a mind to indict somebody for murder, but I certainly would have looked at manslaughter or something. And I'm going to get you uh, Daniel Donovan's statement, because I think that is among the more instructive things And again, not to say that I agree with anything he did or said in his statement. It's not about that. It is more about the rationale he's using to say that he did his best and did his due diligence. And at the end of the day, a grand jury decided not to indict. 
Now, uh, you know, I believe it was Saul Wachler who at one time said that a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich if a prosecutor was to lead them in the direction of saying there was cause to indict a ham sandwich. Now, here's what Daniel Donovan said, okay, because I want people to be clear about the way this system, in fact, works. I first want to express, this is from Daniel Donovan, Staten Island District Attorney, Richmond County District Attorney. I first want to express my condolences to Eric Garner's family for their loss and to acknowledge the heartache of his mother, his wife, his children, as well as his other family members, loved ones, and friends who have consistently carried themselves with grace during the past four months. A Richmond County grand jury has completed its investigation into the tragic death of Eric Garner on July 17, 2014 after being taken into police custody for an alleged sale of untaxed cigarettes in the Tompkinsville area of Staten Island, New York. After deliberation on the evidence presented in this matter, the grand jury found that there was no reasonable cause to vote an indictment. Upon Eric Garner's death, investigations were immediately commenced and independently conducted by the Office of the New York City Chief Medical Examiner, the Internal Affairs Bureau of the New York Police Department, and the Richmond County District Attorney's Office. Although the Internal Affairs Bureau had immediately responded to the scene and conducted its own investigation, I directed all of the uh, detective investigators of my office, along with other investigative personnel, all of whom do not work for the New York Police Department, to initiate an independent investigation. Uh, Let's see, where was I there? In cooperation with eight assistant district attorneys of my office, assigned to the case. That investigation spanned four months and focused on locating civilian eyewitnesses with information and evidence to offer. Speaking to those who provided medical treatment, whether on the scene or at the hospital, and consulting expert witnesses in the area of forensic pathology, policies, procedures, and training of police officers, as well as emergency medical technicians. Over 38 interviews were conducted, yielding 22 civilian witnesses who reported to have seen some part of the interaction between Eric Garner and members of the NYPD. On August 19, 2014, I announced that evidence regarding the circumstances of Eric Garner's death would be presented to a Richmond County grand jury. At that time, I assured the public that I was committed to a fair, thorough, and responsible investigation into Mr. Garner's death and that I would go wherever the evidence took me without fear or favor. Clearly, this matter was of special concern in that an unarmed citizen of our county had died in police custody. For that reason, a dedicated grand jury was impaneled exclusively to hear this case, committed to serving in that capacity for the months the investigation would entail. All tweet, oh, I'm sorry, all 23 members of this community who comprise the grand jury in this matter dutifully fulfilled that commitment by attending each and every one of the sessions that began on September 29, 2014, and concluded on December 3, 2014. I would like to thank them for their time, effort, and commitment to this investigation and for the careful manner in which they discharged their solemn duty as grand jurors. As this grand jury was dedicated to hearing only evidence regarding the circumstances surrounding Eric Garner's death, it was afforded the opportunity to singularly focus 
on the evidence in this case and this case only and to hear from all witnesses with any material evidence to offer, as well as expert witnesses, and to consider documentary and photographic evidence in order to ensure that a thorough, just, and fair investigation was accomplished. It has now completed its investigation into the matter of the investigation into the the death of Eric Garner. Regarding, and this is the important part, Regarding comments that I can or cannot make, unlike other jurisdictions that have statutes that permit a district attorney to disclose specific details regarding what took place during a grand jury proceeding, New York law does not permit a district attorney to engage in such disclosure. Rather, only upon showing of a compelling and particularized need for access can disclosure of grand jury information, limited as it may be, be made in a public forum. One one criminal procedure law, 1925, parentheses 4A, provides that the grand jury proceedings are secret and thus a strong presumption of confidentiality attaches to the record of grand jury proceedings. This presumption must be overcome by a demonstration uh, of a compelling and particularized need for access to the grand jury material. Matter of District Attorney of Suffolk County. 1983. Upon such a demonstration, the court must then balance the public interest for disclosure against the public interest favoring secrecy. After the grand jury reached uh, its decision this afternoon, I applied for a court order pursuant to CPL 190.25 parentheses 4 parentheses A seeking authorization to publicly release specific information in connection with this grand jury investigation. That application is under consideration by the court, and I am therefore constrained by New York law to reveal nothing further regarding these proceedings. And he goes on to uh, list some of the law around the releasing of grand jury information. In fact, we do know there were 23 people on the grand jury. And what's interesting about this is and this is the last paragraph, and we're we're going to go to our guest in New York. A grand jury has twenty three members. A quorum of sixteen grand jurors must be present to hear evidence. Sixteen grand jurors who have heard all of the relevant and critical evidence must be present to deliberate. To formally charge a person with a crime, at least twelve grand jurors who have heard all the evidence and the legal instructions must agree that there is legally sufficient evidence and reasonable cause to believe. The accused person committed a crime. So what that says is they couldn't get 12 people to agree that there was a crime committed here, even though it was a homicide. So we're going to leave it there for a moment. We're going to welcome our very special guest. And he's going to talk not just about Eric Garner, but about Michael Brown and protests regarding the grand jury decision in that case where the decision was not to indict police officer Darren Wilson. He is New York, I'm sorry, sports reporter for Arise TV, Mr. Andrew Rosario. Andrew, how you doing? Hey, Mark, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, man, doing great. Uh, not so great, but doing well. Yeah, uh, it's not a very uh, happy day here in New York, and I want to just echo the, uh, the sentiments that you just uh, made a couple of minutes ago about um, condolences to the Gardner family and also to the family of uh, Armadillo. He was definitely... Um, someone that I looked up to as being a Puerto Rican male myself here in New York. 
Um, and he was very proactive, not only in the Hispanic community, but for the New York uh, community as well. Absolutely. What are you hearing, Andrew, from people you know uh, in terms of reaction to the grand jury decision in the Eric Garner case? You know, I've been on Facebook pretty much the minute that the decision came down. And, you know, I posted immediately that I was not surprised, unfortunately, that um, there was no indictment. And uh, the flood of responses I've been getting ranged from shock, sadness, disappointment, anger, not really believing that something like this can happen again, unfortunately. In New York, and you know this as well as anybody, the number of young men of color who have been taken uh, by the police force um, has just been incredible. Um, And, you know, uh, there's a lot of anger going on as well. I was talking to one gentleman actually last week who was saying that he could understand all of the anger and rioting that was taking place in Ferguson and that if that was his son or daughter uh, that was murdered brutally the way that the gentleman was in Ferguson that he he would be out there rioting and looting and because that's the anger that he felt. Yeah, it, it, people are angry. But, you know, Andrew, I've seen angry people react to either uh grand jury decisions not to indict or uh police going to trial and and getting acquitted like in the Sean Bell case. Correct. And it never seems to change. It always seems to be pretty much the same. I knew, I I mean, I was on the air a week before the Ferguson decision. And I said then, there's no way they indict this guy. Hmm. Just from my own experience, there's no way they indict Darren Wilson. Now, I have to say, I thought in this case, they might indict. Because... You know, when they talk about, when when the DA talks about all the photographic evidence, they had a video. Very clearly. And I don't understand, how. what, what is it, like, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Exactly. <coughs> what and, Mark, mm-hmm. let, me, let, me, let me make one other point, you know, concerning that, um, you know, this grand jury, which you mentioned, out of the 23, only 12 had to come back with an indictment on any of those charges. To find that none of those, none of not 12 of those 23 people could not come back with an indictment on not even one charge. I'd like to find out what the racial makeup of that grand jury was, mm-hmm. what their um, what their gender was, what their age was, because I find it absolutely shocking that of the 23 people. None of them, not not 12 of them, could come up with at least an indictment on one charge, even the most minor charge. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing that that kind of sort of amazes me, Andrew. And, you know, again, in many, many cases, if not most cases where a grand jury is impaneled, the grand jury is impaneled and the prosecutor pretty much guides them to the outcome that he or she wants to see. They're not there to to convict anybody. They're there to say, all right, is there enough evidence to charge this person with a crime? And and I find it utterly amazing that this D.A. didn't seem to be prepared to lead them in that direction. Now, I have to say, uh, because this is something that came out of the uh, of the Ferguson grand jury, 
the notion of weighting people's testimony based on whether or not it was favorable to the cop or favorable to Michael Brown. And obviously, in that case, the preponderance of whatever evidence they put forward was uh, on the side of the cop. And I have to figure in this case, a similar thing took place. Yeah. And the fact still remains. You mentioned it is that video was so compelling. And I'm sure that everyone on that grand jury panel had probably seen that video before they were even selected for the grand jury. And I'm sure that they saw it again when they were sitting on that grand jury panel. And for them to see that and not think that there was something blatantly wrong is just, it's unforgiving. It is. And, you know, in Ferguson, they've been on the street now for the better part of a week, uh, actually over a week. Uh, something tells me it won't be that long here in New York. And, and, and I really don't think there's going to be a lot of violence either. I don't think, I don't expect violence. I would be surprised if there was any type of violence or looting or mayhem. But I do expect there to be significant protests over the next couple of days. Um, because, honestly, that's the only resort that I think we can come to right now. We just can't let this be swept under the rug. We need everybody out there who feels that this is such a travesty of justice to flood the social media to speak with, you know, their neighbors and say, we've got to have a voice out here to let the New York City Police Department, to let Commissioner Bratton, to let Mayor de Blasio know that we're not going to stand for this anymore. Andrew, originally, uh, and, and we hooked up before I knew that this decision was going to come, but we were going to talk a bit about the Los Angeles Rams because sports is your beat. The St. Louis Rams. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm losing my mind. (laughs) The St. Louis Rams, who uh, uh, five players came out and, and, you know, symbolically protested the decision in Ferguson. Uh, I'm kind of sort of guessing we're not going to see anything like that from the Jets or the Giants, right? I don't think we will. And, you know, I I, I give a lot of kudos to those five players. uh, Jared Cook, Tavon Austin, Kenny Bratt, Stedman Bailey, and Chris Givens. Uh, I thought what they did was phenomenal. I think the reaction to it was ridiculous, not only by the St. Louis Police Department, but to have the NFL even have to defend what they did, I I just found that remarkable as well. And unfortunately, and Mark, we talked about this in the past, how we've been in a climate and in a culture for such a long time when we've seen a lot of social issues take place, and it's very, very rare that you'll see any athlete, especially high-profile athletes, come out and make any kind of comments on it. Now, remember with the uh, uh, Trayvon Martin incident, the uh, Miami Heat all put on hoodies and took a photo uh, at courtside uh, before one of their Miami Heat games, basically saying we could have been Trayvon Martin. And, you know, aside from that, we didn't really hear anything from any other athletes across the board in any city in any sport talking about it. Well, you know, I, I'm wondering, Andrew, do you think that because I'm a little older than you, I think. Not as, much. Ma- as a matter of fact, I, I'm pretty much sure. I am. <laughs> but uh, I remember Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Correct. And I remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, uh, Harry Belafonte, who, by the way, was in Ferguson. Uh, You know, these folks put 
to some extent, their careers on the line. In fact, John Carlos uh, went through a prolonged period. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't get anything. And I, I just don't see, you know, having seen that level of, of commitment from athletes and celebrities and understanding what that did for me as a young person, okay, and, and seeing these folks stand up, I, I just wonder, like, where, you know, other than the Rams, where is everybody? You know, that's a very good question. And, I mean, I, I'm at a loss for an answer with that as well. You know, a lot of these athletes, they are definitely financially stable. Um, they've got long-term contracts. Most of them are guaranteed. Basketball players' contracts are guaranteed. Baseball players' contracts are guaranteed. Hockey players' contracts are guaranteed. Football players, they go by a year-to-year basis. But if you're in the top echelon, of that sport, you're basically set for life as well. And so it really boggles my mind that players don't come out and make some kind of positive statement. Now, we all know that they have PR machines that basically monitor every word that comes out of their mouth post-game, pre-game, when they're not playing. So I'm sure that they would sit down with the people that represent them and say, you know what, I want to make a statement based on this incident or this incident not to flame the fires or not to start turmoil, but to let the people out there know, especially people of color, that, again, we're in a privileged situation and we should be able to speak our mind without having to worry about the repercussions. Now, I I just got something uh, out of the Washington Post that says later this evening, Eric Holder, the attorney general, uh, will announce he's opening a federal civil rights investigation into Eric Garner's death. And, And kudos to him. Uh, you know, he, he's actually leaving. Uh, and, and a lot of the flack he's gotten, I think, may have been, uh, I won't say racially motivated, but uh, yeah, I guess there's really no other way to put it. Racially really motivated. Uh, and and uh, he is going to open an investigation. I'm assuming that investigation will be taken up by whoever succeeds him. He, uh, Loretta Lynch has been nom- uh, has been appointed by the uh, by the president, but she has yet to be confirmed. And I got to say, um, where else do you go after something like this? All right, so the athletes aren't going to protest. The protests here in New York will probably end after a couple of days. People will go back to their lives and will wait for the next time an unarmed black guy gets shot and killed by a cop. What do you think needs to change? I guess, you know, in the big picture, I would think that there needs to be some kind of change within the judicial system in terms of the grand jury system, in terms of how evidence is presented to the grand jury. And like you mentioned, um, the prosecutor on that case, I think he needs to be looked into. I think I think it needs to be exposed what he presented to that grand jury. Um, you know, just giving instructions is one thing. But again, like you mentioned, the grand jury isn't set there to put somebody in jail. They're basically there to see if there's enough evidence to bring charges against this individual based on what the charges are. And for all of the um, charges that were brought against this police officer, again, not for one indictment to come back, I think that's what really is really upsetting, upsetting people more than anything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's galling. There's a videotape of what took place here. And they've been showing it all day on every channel over and over again, and it's indisputable what is on that tape. 
You're absolutely right. Andrew Rosario, as always, great to talk with you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Mark, hopefully we can talk uh, on a more lighter subject and talk about the the, 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 the New York sports teams and how lousy they are. <laughs> yeah, we got to do that. We absolutely Excellent. have to do that. You take care, man. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Andrew Rosario, he's a sports reporter for Arise TV. Uh, obviously, he weighed in on the Garner case. We were going to talk to him about the protests uh, by the St. Louis. I keep thinking Los Angeles. Man, am I that old, Jason? Jeez, Louise. Okay, we got a couple of people holding on. Let's go to a phone call. All right, let's go first to Ike, who's calling us from South Carolina. Ike, how you doing, my friend? Hey, brother. You know, just a liberal stuck in a red state. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. How you feeling? Well, I'm mad as hell. I'm, I've been mad. I've been mad since Trayvon Martin. I've been mad since that fellow they got a hold of and molested him or abused him with the toilet plunger up there. I'm, oh, Abner Louima, yeah. Yeah, I've been mad since uh, the guy that they pumped all those bullets into who was standing on his front stoop in New York. I've been mad since, uh, you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. It and does. I, 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 I don't understand I'm like you, you know, particularly people of privilege. They should be the ones when it comes to, you know, uh, union disputes or when it comes to this kind of injustice, you know, when you're privileged, you should be able to stand up for people and, 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 and make a statement. You know, much like, uh, and it's still burned in my memory, uh, those fellows that uh, at the Olympics. That was Tommy Smith athletes. and John Carlos, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they stood up. You know, I mean... You know, so so shame on those people. But, you know, as far as the justice system goes, look, man, uh, I, you know, it's just undeniable to me. You know, it's just undeniable to me. It is undeniable. Uh, and you know what's interesting, Ike? You know, there was a third person at that podium with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, a white guy by the name of Peter yeah. Norman, who, right. by the way, uh, didn't have to stand with Smith and Carlos, but he did. He didn't right. do the salute, but he stood with them. On that podium. Do you know that four years later, I think he was Australian, they wouldn't even let him compete for his country in the following Olympics, which I believe was 72. I didn't know that. But I can tell you, having been to Australia, Mm -hmm. I was really surprised and had my eyes opened. Not only the way they treated the Aborigines there, but I saw a lot of stars and bars and a lot of KKK symbols over there, too. Really? Uh, yeah, it, I was really taken aback by that. I'll never forget it. But, you know, look, you know, when it comes to our justice system, here it is straight up. Uh, you know, if I get out here and I do something wrong, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm under the jail. Yeah. And it don't take but a minute to get me there. Now, whether it's this stuff going on with, uh, you know, uh, the race relations and, and, and the problems that we're having like that. But, you know, on the bigger picture, you know... <laughs> My God, they let Wall Street walk all over us. And that's right there where you're at, buddy. I know. And, you know, and they let and Wall Street of, walk, too. By the yeah, way. and as a matter of fact, you know, they're untouchable because of the revenue they bring in. Not only for the, but, you know, just the fact that, you know, they've got the juice. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that's where the real problem lies on every level is injustice, unequal justice. And people are just sick and tired of it on all levels. And, and, and all I can tell you is, brother... I sure as hell hope that New York doesn't explode up there. Have a peaceful protest and make your voice heard and, 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 and make it sustain and for a long time. Don't just do it for one night and, you know, stand up for it, and that's cool. But, man, don't get violent. Don't, you know, take the Martin Luther King route 
you know, take them peaceful protest and, and, and ex- exercise your rights, but don't tear up the place. Just don't do it, man, because it brings dis- it discredits the whole damn thing. Well, you know, the other thing, Ike, is that, that, you know, the system and the powers that be, they're prepared for people to get violent. They, are, they, 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 they got the troops ready. They got the cops ready. They got everybody ready. You know, they've, yeah. they've given the cops all kinds of military hardware, yeah. uh, and, and which, by the way, I, I, I hate to say this, but this happened on the president's watch, on Barack Obama's watch. But, know. Uh, you know, they're prepared. They've been prepared yeah, and, since and I first started working in journalism sure. 40 and years me, ago. You, me, me and you were both old enough to remember, and we know, we knew it back in the day. Yeah. Uh, they're not above They're not above putting troublemakers in the crowd. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, remember when they caught Scott Walker thinking he was talking to one of the Koch brothers in Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. They're, they're still doing it, buddy. They'll, they'll, they want to discredit the move. They want to, you know, and that's why I'm saying, you know, you, if you're going to protest, that's, that's what you need to do. We absolutely need to be in the street for it. But we've got we've got to have some control on it. And you can't have anarchists and you can't have these agents with provocateurs come in there and make you look bad. Absolutely. I got to run, man, but thank you so much for calling from South Carolina. Good talking to you. You take care. You know, uh, Ike is right. Uh, And it's interesting here in New York that there's a tendency on the part of the NYPD to believe that whatever problems will come from the protests surrounding the Eric Garner decision will come from Occupy Wall Street people. And I have not seen myself, and I was down there in Zuccotti Park broadcasting twice and was down there more than once after that. I didn't see those people running around talking about burning nothing or starting any trouble or getting violent with the cops or anybody else. We got Michael S.W. on the line. Michael, how you doing this evening? Well, in a nutshell, Mark, there are two letters in the alphabet that pretty much describe how I'm feeling. P.O. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that tonight. Yeah, and I'm not talking post office either. Yeah, I understand. I understand. It, Michael, it, what, what do you think has to happen to make change here? This has happened too many times. You know, Mark, <laughs> I don't mean to um, make a joke when you had asked, you know, doggone, are you getting that old? First off, I don't think you're getting that old, but <laughs> I'm surprised um, you forgot in our past discussion, so what I said, what needs to be, um, what needs to occur. And that is the big shots that are filtering into the minds of these police officers that they are above the law, that they can do whatever they want, and that they will have endless lifetime immunity. Now, my heart still goes out to those police officers that are being misled like that. But my thing is, when you got you got to go after the people that is putting them into this particular uh, predicament. I'm trying to be careful and mild with my choice of words, but you know the one person that I've had in mind, and that was um, Police Union President Pat Lynch. Mm-hmm. But I also have to add to the mix, based on his ridiculous rant on Meet the Press the other day. Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani. Yeah. Yep. The people that incite this kind of behavior and on top of that, always leaning on the damn scales of justice to corrupt this system in which there's no equal accountability, there's no equal protection, there's no equal rights, and there's no equal, um, oh, God, I forgot the other word I was going to. 
say. Justice, said, justice, equal justice. justice. Equal justice, a- a- absolutely. Thank you. Right. And when you have people like that, that is, you know, creating these two different sets of rules and, you know, having others following them, that remains a problem. And when those big shots are finally held accountable, maybe those below them that are being used as pawns, and I'm sorry to say, a lot of police officers, New York's finest, are being used as pawns, they will finally get the message that, what did um, Joe Clark say in Lean On Me? Next time, it could be you. And if you do know better, next time, it will be you. Good you point. know, I'm trying to I'm trying to bridge the gap between the communities of especially communities of color and the police officers who find themselves being a victims of this as well because they have to quote follow orders. Well, you know, Michael, and, you, you bring up a very interesting point there because there are police officers that want to do the right thing and in fact do the right thing uh, on a daily basis. The problem, however. May well be, and I've said this, I was saying this 25 years ago, that there is a culture of policing in America. Uh, And and it it, it kind of hangs its hat in major American cities with large black populations. And, And that culture of policing is about the business of, uh, in some cases, simply either being in fear of or stereotyping black people. To the level of, of, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm, it's okay for me to have my gun drawn in a project stairwell. Well, because it's the projects. And who lives in the projects? Or it's okay to put a guy in a chokehold over some cigarettes because that's how, you know, you. that's how we function. And, and I think a lot of people, a lot of black people on Staten Island, in fact, would find it absolutely incredible to think that a white guy would wind up in the same situation. Yeah, well, Mark, can we make one thing clear? And I'm getting sick and tired of right-wing media making that kind of um, statement. First of all, there was no evidence whatsoever of Eric Garner selling any kind of Lucy cigarettes. In fact, he completely denied it. There's a video, that video in its entirety. He made a case against those cops who were constantly harassing him, and he says he's had enough, it ends right now, and... Just when he made enough incriminating statements against those particular cops, that's when the chokehold was applied, and which many people feel, oh, that's the murder right there. He was saying too, he was saying too much to incriminate these cops, and they figured to silence him forever. That's what some of these people are believing. Well, I, you know, I'm I don't also, know whether that's true or not, Michael. And, and I don't know either, but can I make one more statement? All right, make I'm it real also, quick. I'm also sick and tired of these right-wing media when it comes to you and I or anybody else having this kind of discussion, as it's very crucial as police brutality has gotten way out of hand and the victims has been frequently been people of color. You got people like Rudy Giuliani and these other right-wingers saying, why are you discussing that? Should we be talking about black-on-black crimes and only that? Well, see, I'm that's thinking- the thing. The, those folks, and thanks a lot for the call, Michael. I really right. appreciate it. Uh, those folks have a platform. They have a forum. They have the ability to weigh in on these things when, in point of fact, you have to ask yourself, why? Why does anybody care what Rudy Giuliani has to say? By the way, I got a text message, um, and it says, I thought I missed the 60s. It's happening in my late middle age. 
I don't know. What is he talking about? Me? <laughs> I don't know. It's very, very strange. Now, we have a call from, uh, who was that in Atlanta, did you say? Luke. Luke is calling from Atlanta, GA. Luke, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. So, I just have uh, basically a comment. It's more, so all of these protest movements with Mike Ferguson, Eric Garner, they're basically objections to unjustified use of state violence. Yeah. But in turn, all the pressure is put on these protesters not to use violence. Well, yeah, so, I, I mean, look, nobody wants to say... That, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm a pacifist as a tactic, and I don't think we've reached that point. But if we got to the point of, uh, say, South Africa, and we had Americana in America, maybe it would be. See, Luke, here's the thing. Um, there has been... And I, and I should say this, and I can say it without fear of contradiction. If you go back and look at virtually every uprising where there was violence, where people lost their lives, what started it? A negative interaction between a black citizen and a cop. And I'm talking about going back to the 30s, okay? I'm talking about Watts. I'm talking about two different uprisings in Harlem in 35 and 43. Uh it has always been about that. The problem is the violence doesn't accomplish anything because oh, we're in totally 2014. Agree with you on that. Uh, we're in 2014 and is, nothing's changed. Right. So there's a failure of the state to actually do anything to change these institutional problems. Because it doesn't want and, to. It has no oh, will to. Oh, it, it, it. See, it's comfortable with the way things are. It's comfortable with saying, oh, gee, that was, tra- that was a tragedy, and moving on. That's what they're comfortable with. And try as black folks might, we haven't been able to move them out of their comfort zone. And, I mean, as, say, in Ferguson, where a lot of these arsons have taken place, like, I don't advocate that. I don't... Neither do I. I don't really agree with anything... Uh, because, you know, it's kind of detrimental to its own community. But at the same time, it's like they're attacking, they're attacking, uh, our, they're burning, uh, you know, big business. You know, a lot of the... Some of them are burning big business. Some of them are building, uh, burning. You know, there was a situation where a group of black people protected a white owned, a, a gas station that was owned by a white guy. That's great. You know, and, and see, understand this, too. This is a situation that the system knows how to deal with. It does. It knows how to deal with violence. That's why they got a National Guard. That's why they got all these cops that suddenly have, you know, tanks and all the rest of the stuff they can roll through the street. They know how to deal with it. Right. But from a media perspective, I just think it's kind of, it turns movements on its head where there's movements that are basically a objection to the use of state violence and then they want to turn it around and put all the impetus on the movement itself not to use violence which i don't think that the movement should because at this point it is not justified no but it's hypocritical you're right you're absolutely right it is completely hypocritical for people who are fully prepared to use violence to tell other people not to use it It, i mean you're absolutely right luke i gotta run man but thank you so much for the call all right all right man thanks for having me bye 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 Calling from Atlanta, GA. And again, if you don't have time to call, you can text me at 917 830 3010. 
two, three. And it works because I already got, I, I just read one email that came in about 10, 15 minutes ago. In a moment, we're going to be talking with our good friend, Les Payne. Do we have time for a slight musical interlude there, Jason? Yeah, because it's been a kind of intense evening. And, you know, again, I had a bunch of other stories to deal with, but this is the story. Back in a minute. back we got about 14 minutes before the hour of seven o'clock and it is indeed an honor as it is always to welcome to our microphones pulitzer prize winning editor at newsday mr les Payne. les how you doing mark raleigh i'm fine how are you i'm doing good man except uh les this is getting to be so predictable and you know I, you were a good friend of my brother clayton who passed away some years absolutely yes and I know the kind of rage. You know, I'm, I'm not a person that expresses rage the same way he did. Yeah, but I, this is true. You know, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, Clayton would be outraged at this. He would be yeah. clenching his teeth. I'm not saying he'd lead violent protests or anything. But it seems less that the more things, you know, move forward in our lives, the more they stay the same. This is not new. We've seen it over and over and over again. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it, I think it, that is because the power has not shifted. I think the power structure is still the same. And I think that another reason it hasn't changed is because those who are targeted, those who are victimized, have not changed it. All right? Mm-hmm. In, for instance, one of the things that we hear people say, New Yorkers, you know, I'm from Alabama. I was born in Alabama, and I know you, and I, I'm, uh, I was in Hartford. I know you spent time in Hartford oh, yeah. as well as Clayton, but we moved to Hartford when I was 12. But I, I, I know the South, and I know the North, and I know how complacent New York City people tend to be, uh, thinking they're in the Big Apple, thinking that they are not uh, Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. But you look at Ferguson. This situation is worse than Ferguson. The situation here in New York is worse than Ferguson because for a number of reasons, uh, in terms of the on the ground uh, uh, detail, there is no argument you know, that can be made that uh, Gardner was a threat to those five or six policemen armed as they were. He did not have uh, arm. He, 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 we saw him backing up as opposed to charging them, you know, uh, and the guy jump on his back and throw him in. And the six of them stand around and they, they grin. And with an illegal chokehold, mm-hmm. all right, an illegal chokehold, he kills this man, does not administer any aid to him. All five or six of them standing around, trained supposedly in first aid, and allow him to die, you know, uh, on the ground you know, uh, at, at, at their feet, where they're walking around smiling. All right, now, if you look at Ferguson, uh, what they'll say is, well, statistically, they'll say, you know, Ferguson is 66% African-American, and they only have three on the police force, and they have no political power. That's what New Yorkers say, right? Mm-hmm. New York City, white 
New York City's white, non-Hispanic white population is 33%, almost the identical that it is in Ferguson. Hmm. There is no political, look it up, non-Hispanic population in the five boroughs of New York City is 33.7%. The identical same almost that it is in Ferguson. And yet African Americans have no real political power at all in the city. They have no, the police commissioner, I mean, the, the number two guy was just humiliated before he stepped down. And be, before the police commissioner got his guy in, uh, the mayor, you know, it, it, we haven't had, you know, any representation of, of uh, since, since Dinkins left in 93. So New Yorkers sit very calmly by and look at Ferguson. And, by, and in reality, the situation of what happened to Eric Gardner on the streets of Staten Island, which is New York City, is worse. He was killed uh, by five or six cops standing there looking at it by an illegal chokehold. And the thing about Ferguson, you can say what you will, but in Ferguson, the grand jury, yes, they had a, a, a the, the case was foregone because they had a cop who was, you know, the son of a cop who was killed and obviously unfit to uh, even present the case to the grand jury mm -hmm. for that and other reasons. And yet here, you know, you have a Donovan who is highly suspect. The governor keeps his hands off. At the very least, we... Uh, and I read through all of it. My sister sent it to me. I read all of the documents of the grand jury. Here, the grand jury is secret. And so we won't know here precisely what happened. Uh, at least the, 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 the city uh, of Ferguson it was transparent. Yeah. But here, we won't know what, what really happened. And the other thing is that this pattern that you talk about is that what has come to happen in New York City is that these cops, and, and the thing about uh, uh, Ferguson, too, you know, that strikes you, you know, when you look at it, when you look at the, at the, at the detail of this, this, this policeman, Darren Wilson, when he was questioned on the AB, on, on Stephanopoulos' show, mm -hmm. that, that, that Tuesday, I think it was, he said, I just, quote, I just did my job, Darren Wilson said. I did what I was paid to do. I followed my training. That's it. Now, He's right. Hmm. He was, he did his job as a police officer in Ferguson. He did what he was paid to do. He was following his training. I think similarly, Daniel uh, Pantaleo was doing what he was paid to do. He did his job. He did what he was trained to do. And he will be embraced as an ideal cop by the New York Police Department. And we will go and put our hopes in some uh, New York, I mean, the federal government coming in, and at the end of the day, the family will get, you know, their $3 million from the cities. That is the bounty that New York City puts on the head of black men that this police department killed and have been killing, you know, for the last few decades. Yeah. They put a bounty of $3 million that some lawyer can work in normally and uh, told by Sharpton or some other shyster, you know, to collect uh, $3 million. That's the bounty that New York City put on the police head. And, and, and philosophically, and this is a thing that, that, that we don't miss of why things don't change, because you can't change until you understand things. Mm. You have to understand that this police behavior is not random. It is systemic. It is designed by the power structure of this city and has been since time began uh, in the city. And it is done with the tacit approval of the majority of, of the majority white population in the city. Hmm. And it is an act of terror by police to 
every now and then take an example uh, and exterminate them, you know, as, as they've done with, with Eric Garner. Shut him as an example to other uh, black men and women so situated that uh, that that they are still in charge. And in the in the age of of, of Obama, where the white voters are scared to death because fifty nine percent of them could not prevent an African American president from getting reelected, they're running scared. And I tell you, they they, they feel this cop. Pantaleo as Daryl Wilson will be embraced. This man has a million dollars down there, and this guy here will, will keep, probably keep his gun and his badge and will retire with a big salary that we will be paying as citizens. Now, Les, you, so in other words, you don't hold a lot of faith in the idea that he might still face departmental charges and get thrown off the force. No, and even if he did, he'll, he'll, he'll have a fat retirement check and he'll go on embraced as a hero. And right now, he is the safest man in New York City. Really? And he should not be. What do you mean by that? I mean precisely what I said. Okay. All right. He is the safest man in New York City, and he should not be. But, Les, uh, police officers in this city, and, 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 again, you go back to Clifford Glover in 1972, uh, you know, which was right around the time I started working in radio, and, uh, you know, you hear these stories and they go on and on and on. And you're right. Most people can't remember the name of the cop that shot and killed a 12-year-old kid named Clifford Glover. Or the kid that, uh, the cop that shot 15-year-old Randolph Evans. And all the rest of them going straight down the line. Arthur Miller, uh, Eleanor Bumpers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and, and it's not like black folks don't have access to the knowledge Maybe maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's my fault for not, you know, uh, saying it long and loud enough that this is part of a pattern. This is part of a continuum here. No, no, something something has to be done, and some, something something's going to be done. And and, and it's, it's it's not the thing that's going to be talked about. Uh, one of the problems is these police. What about the African Americans on the New York City police force? Where are they? What is their view? And I don't want to hear the stuff about black men should keep their hands in the pocket and he should have submitted and, 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 and allowed himself to be arrested. I'm talking about Eric Gardner. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 their role and duty is to stand up and protect what is that was an illegal chokehold, illegal administered, and this man was killed and allowed to die on that streets. And they should, they, they're cops. They shouldn't be outraged. They're insiders. They should have some kind of organization. They should have. There should be some redress, redress to that. There is a responsibility for cops to uphold the law, and they know that this was a violation. And so I, I, I think that they that that it is a libel, a libel against against what are they doing? Well, we do have the guardians. The guardian. Yes, we have the Guardian. And I, I once talked to Eric Adams, who was one of the founders of the Guardian, if not the founder. And you know what his position was? His position of that group is to go around and lecture black men, your boys in high school, how when you see a cop, put your hands in your pocket and reassure that cop that you are not a threat to him. In other words, the next thing they'll be telling young black men in the five boroughs is to put on a dress and reassure these cops from Long Island and upstate Washington, Bill, that they are not a threat to them. Mm. The Guardians is worthless in that philosophy. And, and, and this another thing, this whole idea, you know, that the reaction to Ferguson is that you should get down on your knees, 
raise your hands and say, I am unarmed. This is precisely what the terrorists intention by the police department in New York City and Ferguson is designed to do is to have you submit humbly, submissively, and to emasculate yourself before them as if they are some kind of authority to, to, to carry out uh, 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 some, some law that they have no sense of justice in enforcing. It is a criminal act to set as a symbol Put it, get it, that's what the, that's what the, the guardians would, would, would recommend, I suppose. Get on your knees, raise your hand, say I'm unarmed. I think you should stand up, ball your fist, and take some action. All right. Les, we got to leave it there, man. But as always, strong words, and we will continue this conversation, okay? Okay. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. Les Payne. Uh, and you could tell, from, you know, uh, from the emotion in Les's voice, he's seen this so many times, as have I. Uh, and, I, I mean, on, on some level, I guess it's either act, as Les has talked about, or resign yourself. And, and uh, you know, uh, as a journalist, you can go either way. You can resign yourself to this is the way it's going to be throughout the rest of my lifetime. Or you can take, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) you can take some form of action. I don't advocate violence. I don't. It's just not in my nature. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not less that way. I'm not my older brother that way. But something, something is going to need to be done. I want to thank everyone who's been listening this evening. I want to thank the people who called. Thank the person who texted. We'll be back to do it all over again next Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. This is the Mark Riley Show. I am he. Thanks to Jason Taubenfeld for his great work during this past hour. You're listening to the Progressive Radio Network. Have a great week ahead.